social media was just becoming a thing. And I had a project that was, we were just researching some competitors. I'll never forget. There was time he like had, you know, walked right behind me kind of unknowingly had my headphones in and up on my screen was like Pinterest, right? I'm like researching how like B2B brands are using Pinterest. I'm like, oh God, this guy probably thinks I'm, I'm slacking. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Seaman. Joining Brad on this episode of Decision Point is Jonathan Gandalf, CEO and co-founder of The Juice. The Juice is a curated discovery platform for B2B content. To start exploring content today, please visit app.thejuicehq.com. Thanks for being on. I'm looking forward. I'm super looking forward to talking to you. I'm looking to hearing about the about the juice and uh, hearing about your background. Tell me how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So my career path, a little bit wandering. Um, I was very fortunate that I started my career at Exact Target um, here in Indianapolis, email marketing platform. Um, when I started, and, and this will come full circle at kind of the end of my wandering career path, but when I started, they were in hyper growth, hyper scale up mode. Uh, they were growing very quickly. They were out of office space uh, in their Indianapolis offices. And um, very fortunately for me, I think uh, they were out of office space, except for very intentionally right outside of the CEO's office, Scott Dorsey. So they jammed, I think, the new employees into that section. And I started my career about 20 feet from his office, which was probably uh, very fortunate from a uh, productivity stage or productivity perspective at that stage of my career. But just very um, informally got to know him, you know, standing at the printer going to the kitchen, going to the restroom, coming and going during the day, just like it kind of informally built this relationship um, that that will come full circle near the end of this. It's kind of like being in front of the class, right? You're just close to the, you're close to the teacher. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll never forget there was a, you know, at that time, social media was just becoming a thing. And I had a project that was, we were just researching some competitors. I'll never forget there was time he like, had, you know, walked right behind me kind of unknowingly had my headphones in and up on my screen was like Pinterest, right? I'm like researching how like B2B brands are <laughs> using Pinterest. I'm like, oh God, this guy probably thinks I'm, I'm slacking here. But um, so anyways, I, I went through a few rules. Have you ever asked him about that? I have Because I assume, yes. okay. you know, he probably didn't even think twice about it. It's one of those things like as a youngster in your career, you're like sweating bullets thinking he's going to come back with a pink slip, but um, no, it was good. Got to know him, just a great relationship built there. But anyways, I went through a few roles at exact target, ended up on the team. That was how we used our own software. Uh, that became the team post acquisition. That was how we trained Salesforce to use our software. Uh, so I was actually really enjoying that role. I was super happy. wasn't looking for anything. I had a uh, side project that I swore was just that a passion project that became a full-time project. So um, I was sharing an apartment with uh, two friends of mine. Uh, we were 24, 25 year old males. So we obviously had a kegerator in the apartment. We had uh, one of our roommates brothers was a brewer at Hofbrau House in Newport, Kentucky. Uh, he wanted to start a brewery, had no idea how to start a business. Uh, but the three of us, myself, I had studied marketing. One of my roommates had studied entrepreneurship. He was working at Exact Target as well. The third roommate was a CPA at Deloitte. We looked at ourselves and we said, "Hey, Evan, uh, the brother, we'll uh, we'll write you a business plan." Thinking that was just that, and uh, if you'll trade us for a keg for the apartment, he said, "Deal." 
we wrote the business plan, got the keg, thought that was that, thought it would die on the vine. And he kind of looked at us like, now what? He said, well, it's a very capital intensive business. You would need to raise money. He's like, great. Do you know anybody with money? And we're like, well, this was like post acquisition. There were people in Indianapolis looking to reinvest into the community. We said, what we'll do is we will share this business plan with a few people in our network, not ask for money, but just ask for feedback on the business plan. Um, so he and his brother did that. And uh, like nine times out of 10, I think the response was, this seems really legitimate. There's real opportunity here. Uh, would you be interested in an investment? And so then it started to get real. We ran a Kickstarter campaign to kind of test the idea. And our goal was $30,000 in 30 days. We did that in uh, about 27 hours. We ended up raising $75,000. And that's- Okay, so- Yeah, I'll stop there. So how, okay, so- um all right. Super awesome. I got, so we don't get too far because it sounds like there's going to be a wild, it's going to be fun and a wild ride. So um, back to back to exact target. Are you there when you guys do the acquisition with Pardot? Yeah. So I was there through okay. uh, acquisition of Pardot, Radian 6, uh, I go digital. Um, and then obviously the Salesforce acquisition. The so does it feel like go-go, go-go days? Is it like, I mean, just every week something new and exciting is happening? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I knew it was unique at that stage of my career, but I look back at it now and I'm like, man, went through three ac- three acquisitions, filed to go public, didn't go public, went public, and then were acquired in like five years. Like I knew it was unique, but not, not until this point in my career and like kind of with the perspective. You're gonna look back, sort of connect the dots and look back. Yeah. yeah I mean, look, sales forces or exact targets, the best thing I think that happened to Indianapolis. I mean, I was here pre-software uh, culture or pre-software, pre-acquisition, there's nothing here. There's like exact target, which is, in my opinion, kind of at the time, I would, they were kind of in their own world. There's not, Indianapolis is not exciting. And that acquisition really changes the landscape. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in Indianapolis um, because of that. So that's super awesome. You were a part, uh, you're there, they're making all these acquisitions, they're going public. Um, you, you probably felt like the, the the world was flying by you there. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I was just like, oh, this working stuff sure is crazy, huh? Uh, how about that? Uh, <laughs> but then I, I think what do your so, folks? Like, what did your parents do? Like, what, what are you? What did your or your parents? Yeah, so uh, so my dad worked at Simon Property Group here in Indianapolis okay. for thirty plus years. Like, you know, he was the guy who gets the job and just stays there forever. I mean, he loved it. But um, my mom was a physical therapist, uh, with IU, my dad to Purdue. So like, okay. just like, okay. I had always thought I'd get out of Indy, but exact target kept me here. And then about the same time, the Super Bowl happened. There was a lot of energy. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So you get, so, so those are those questions. So you get into the, um, you get into the brewery business and you guys have right, you guys have taken your, um, business plan around. And you got to, and it sounded like you're getting to the spot where you're getting, you're getting ready to get something exciting is going to happen. You get. Yeah. So we decided to start the brewery. Uh, one of the roommates goes full-time in October. Uh, I left Salesforce in December, which every time I say it, I kind of have to chuckle a lot. I left Salesforce to go start a brewery that hadn't opened yet. Um, in January, it was in Covington, Kentucky. So right across the river from Cincinnati, that's where the brothers were originally from. We thought there was a huge opportunity in Northern Kentucky. 
And so I was going down there Sunday, staying through Thursday or Friday, crashing on a couch, doing the true. Okay, not not married, no, not married, no kid, don't have any kids. Not married. Uh, I did. Uh, my girlfriend had just moved from Chicago to Indy, and about six months later, I started traveling from Indy to Cincinnati. But um, so we we started the process in January. We it was really ongoing, but January to March was pre-launch. We launched in March. Um, in the four ish years that I was there kind of zero to 10 million in annual revenue, uh, six States or four States, 10 major markets, um, grew the team to 40 ish pre COVID. They obviously, um, they didn't have the part-time work during COVID. They've, they've brought that back on. They've done really well throughout COVID. Um, but just really awesome opportunities called Braxton brewing company. And our whole hypothesis was, Felt like there was this rise in craft beer. There was this rise in technology, but not a lot of people had tied that together. And so we felt like the Venn diagram between those two things was actually pretty large. So our mantra was being born in a garage, which we felt like was both meant like the blue collar hard work of enjoying, you know, a cold beer after a hard day's work, but also the, the, um, creative lubricant that is craft beer, right? The, the innovation that is born in the garage. We really uh, leaned into the entrepreneurship as well. We launched with a mobile app. We launched with free gigabit Wi-Fi in our tap room. We opened at 8 a.m. Tuesday through Friday, had a coffee program, really treated it as co-working during the day. We had companies start and grow out of our tap room. Okay, In- interesting. Um, and so that was the, the community really adopted us with open arms and that was a hell of a ride for three and a half, four years. Cool. Now, do you guys sell that or do you, it just keeps, it's. No. So it's still doing well. Uh, They've, they've opened up a few other tap rooms, continue to expand distribution. It's really a bummer. I stay involved a little bit, um, but not at all in the day to day, but it's really a bummer. They were set up for a really big uh, 2020 actually had just invested in some really large sports sponsorships with like the Columbus blue jackets, the Pacers, Cincinnati reds, uh, and all that, you know, kind of dissipated right in front of them. So, but uh, because of some of the success they had had, they were able to maintain throughout COVID. They actually turned it into an opportunity, acquired a few tap rooms um, and, and continue to grow. It's awesome to watch and cheer them on from the sidelines. Awesome. So then you end up at where? Springbuck? Yeah, exactly. So I'm in Cincinnati uh, at this point. <laughs> my wife had moved down, uh, the girlfriend at the time moved down. We actually got married in Covington, loved Covington, loved Cincinnati. Um, and we, uh, just kind of had started thinking about maybe what was next, but not entirely sure. I had a feeling eventually I'd want to, I didn't want to make a career in the beer industry. I didn't think, but, um, an opportunity found me with Springbuck here in Indianapolis. Uh, Phil Daniels, who's one of my uh, mentors reached out and, uh, it was too good to say, uh, no to just, I figured even if I waited several years to get back into technology, it was the exact type of technology role I would be looking for. Um, and so made the very smooth transition from craft beer to healthcare analytics, uh, leading product marketing, and then eventually uh, grew into a role where I was leading the entire marketing team and the business development team at Springbuck for about two years. Uh, it was really fun, kind of the same uh, process where in beer, we felt like there was this missed opportunity. Uh, at Springbuck, we really went down this category creation, creating this health intelligence category that we felt was tangibly different than what was in the market. And that was uh, kind of my project over my time there. Awesome. So where do you come? So, so I think we, we, um, so you've got a new, you've got a relatively new thing. Yep. So, all right. I know, uh, you know, 
what's your background? 20 minutes later, we'll get to the punchline here. Um, so well, they got, hey, I'll tell you what, some of, some of the, so there's a lot of people that are good at burying the lead and keeping you on your seat and you've done a good job. So, all right. Um, um, so um, yeah, I was happy at Springbuck, loved, loved our team. Um, and then in March, I got a call from Scott Dorsey. So here's where we come full circle, right? I had just gotten to know uh, Scott very informally. We had stayed in touch. He was actually one of the people that invested just a small amount in the brewery. Um, but uh, we had stayed in touch and he reached out in March asking me if I'd be interested in high alpha opportunities. This was like the same week that COVID kind of turned the world remote. And I told him, um, you know, I'm really happy where I'm at, but I'm always going to take your call. Right. Uh, and I remember he ended that call saying, you know, that's really good because we like to hire happy people. I thought, Oh no, oh. Uh, hook, line and sinker. I walked right into that trap. <laughs> so oh, that's great. about a month later, he introduced line. me to another that. high alpha partner who introduced me to this idea. They had ran through a sprint week that I had actually participated in a survey for. I don't know how many people had to say no uh, to them first, but they eventually got to me on the list and said, Hey, uh, we're looking for a marketer to lead this marketing business. And um, so, you know, we did a lot of exploration, I think, of each other, them of me and me of them. And then we decided in July to take on this content uh, marketing platform idea. July, still a really tough time to start a business. Um, so we really spent the first four or five months listening to as many people as possible, as many marketers as possible. And then we truly started building the business in January, hiring a team, building product, going and getting some customers and some users. And it's been a uh, wild ride since then. Gotcha. So tell me about, so, so I read, um, so tell me about the business. What's, what's, what problem are you guys trying to solve and what are you, what are you selling? Like what's the, what? yeah, absolutely. So everything, you know, our, our thesis is that everything that we do is consumers of content, right? Whether it's music, TV, movies, it's all curated for us as B2C consumers. But then in the B2B space, when we expect somebody to go find content for B2B purposes, whether they're making a purchasing decision, just trying to advance their career, learn, research, we kind of just drop them into Google, right? And say like, good luck. Uh, and you're not exactly getting results curated for you. You're getting the people with the deepest ad budgets or the most sophisticated like SEO marketers. And so our idea is like, let's bring that very familiar consumer experience to the B2B content space. So, you know, I feel like it's so classic tech to say you're like something for something else. The example we always like to draw on is being like Spotify for B2B content. So I thought you were going to say Uber. No, no, not, not Uber. I could have gone Netflix. <laughs> I'm That's the other one. I'm uh, joking. I'm joking. Because I feel like, you know, and I sort of describe what we do as Uber for, but yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody's like Uber. Yeah. So the, the whole idea is like based off your role. Um, what you've engaged with previously, what people like you are engaging with, your company size, your industry, we can curate the right content for you. And over time, as the audience grows, it's only going to get smarter and smarter. Um, and there's a lot of cool things we can do with that once we have the content and the users on our platform. And so that's that's what we've just started. We're in an early access or a beta period right now. We're actually going to launch uh, more formally in August with all of High Alpha support. So is that, what's the, uh, so what's the monetization strategy? Is it, Hey, you're going to vendors and saying, Hey, look, we've got an, we, we can now see sort of what content somebody's 
that's important to them. Yeah, exactly. So it's free for the content consumer. We'd like to keep it that way into the future. Um, that's just kind of the ethos of what we want to do. We monetize through the brands. What they get if they monetize is promoted content across the platform. There's some spaces reserved for that promoted content. They get access to a robust, like a premium analytics package that will actually show them. If you're a buyer as a director of marketing, we can show you exactly what content format directors of marketing are engaging with, exactly what search terms they're searching for, and then in the future, we'll actually be able to predict how that content will perform. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that's, you know, look, I know one of the challenges that, that I think um, researchers have or people that are interested in sales and marketing products is, it's you know, it is fragmented and, and then you download a content, down, I don't know who invented this, but you download a piece of content and then you get a phone call, right? So um, I'm in the phone call business, so we're not we're not against it, but it is it can be a lot. Um, if um, it can be a lot. Yeah, so, so I I, like know, the, I I think we're both smirking uh, right now a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I that is the 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 B2B experience, right? You fill out a form for a piece of content, and likely if the team is doing what they're supposed to be doing well, likely before you're even done reading that content, you're going to get a phone call and or an email. I've managed teams that have done that in the past. Um, so, so I hesitate to bash it too much, but it's, what if we just gave the consumers, I mean, there are times a consumer welcomes that call, right? But hundred percent. Oh, look, I've got three things right now. I mean, look, I'm in the business. I believe in phone prospecting. I, I think the bigger challenge is how people do it. Uh, more, you know, there should be just, there just needs to be more question asking and less telling like people what to do, you know, like if getting on the phone, seeking to understand, you know, tr versus tr trying to, um, I think I heard somebody say, uh, what do they call it? Pit pitch slap, pitch slap. Like, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but less pitch slapping. Um, but, um, um, yeah, no, I'm totally obviously pro phone call, but I think it's the, it, it becomes, it comes down to the, the relevance. And I think the challenge with the research is the assumption. So I think it's offen offensive. And I think the smirk went across our phases at the same time is because it's just presumptuous to assume that downloading a piece of content means that you're interested in the company. Exactly. So that's you actually know, what, it, like at the core of what we want to do and what we believe in is we want to put the control of that engagement back in the hands of the content consumer, right? So on each individual piece of content, they have the ability to either say they're just browsing, which passes along co company name, company or company name, job function and job role, but no, um, no contact information to the brand. So still directionally yep. some good information for yep. the brand. I, I love it. Yep. Or the content consumer can raise their hand and say, I'm open to outreach. I'm ready to hear from this brand. For the brand, that should be a really high quality um, engagement. Somebody that's probably read your content at least once, uh, they're they're going to convert at a pretty high clip. And uh, we're just putting the control in the consumer's hands on that interaction. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. I, you know, look, I think the, the, the challenge with the, um, I think there's two challenges. One, I think the, 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 S, the, the biggest challenge, I think, with the SDRs calling is a lot of times they're just not trained, yeah. right? So it's like we take the non-trained SDR and somebody downloads a piece of content and they call and they don't research and they don't actually know what your company does. And they definitely don't know what my company does. And, um, and now they're trying to get me in a meeting because I downloaded a white paper and um, they don't listen. So you're like, hey, look, I downloaded the white paper. You know, I'm a competitor. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should buy our stuff. And you're like, you know, 
did you not hear me? I said I'm a competitor. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just trying to check your stuff out. Um, so yeah, a lot of I'm sure there's lots of funny stories we could tell. But I think the challenge is, hey, typically the inside sales team gets to cut their teeth, do reps, cut their teeth on content callbacks. And then the other thing is the presuming or assuming that downloading a white paper is interest. And I think that's probably the bigger reason why people sort of shrug on the white paper download phone call is because it's just presumptuous. It's just like, you know, it'd be the equivalent to taking somebody out to dinner and then them assuming you were going to get married. Like that's just way, way like we just did dinner. I mean, that's like way out there. So my CTO or uh, our CTO and co-founder, he always compares the uh, interaction to going shopping for shoes. He's like, if you're shopping for shoes, you're standing looking at the wall, you know, somebody comes up to you and says like, Hey, can I help you? And you're like, no. And that's like in the uh, B2C world, if you say no, they like go away. Right. But like in the B2B world, you'd be looking at that wall and uh, they'd be like, Hey, can we help you? And you're like, no. And they're like, okay, what about now? What about now? What about those shoes? Are you interested in those shoes? What's your phone number? What's your email? What about now? Are you interested now? Like that is the the experience, Uh right? Um, And so, uh, okay, I love it. Yeah, it's uh, and I I was actually you know while we're trading BDR horror stories, I was at a company previously. I'll keep them unnamed. Where uh, we actually had to like untrain our BDRs because some of them had been trained to like you should get off the phone as fast as possible because it was like they didn't know the product or they didn't know, you know, in like, it was almost like the company was afraid of letting them spend too much time with a prospect because they weren't properly. Tra- it, it was really interesting. And I, I have a lot of passion, a lot of energy around BDR, SDR. Um, and it's not something I realized I had until I really got to know it a lot better, but um, yeah, a lot, lot well, of I think it's there. a powerful, yeah, well, look, it's a powerful tool getting people on the phone and, or just whether you're doing this, or you're getting somebody on the phone. I think it's a super powerful mechanism. It's just like anything else. If you don't do it right, you're not going to get the results. Exactly. So, uh, you, you know, and I think the biggest challenge, I think the biggest challenge with SDRs is just look, you can't be a good SDR if you're not interested. If you're, if you're not a good listener and you don't care, like you just can't, like, I don't, and I had this conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, you know, can you be a good salesperson? I'm going to ask you, I'm actually going to ask you the question they they asked me. Do you think you can be a good salesperson and not be inquisitive or not be generally curious? So I think you can probably brute strength your way to some, some success, but you're not going to do it near as efficiently or near as effectively or at near as high a quality as somebody who is inquisitive. Cause I, I think we've all seen the, like the lone wolf sales rep who just goes out and does whatever, you know, the heck they want and they can get some deals across the finish line, but then the CSM is struggling to make all that come true or uh, to match that. Like, but I think the, the inquisitive, I've always really admired the people who can sit and listen to a conversation, speak very softly, but carry a lot of authority. That's, that's what I strive for. And I've got a lot of work to do there. Well, you can talk, I mean, look, you can talk a lot and still be a good listener. Yeah. You just have to be, you know, I think it's just like, it just, what are you, like, what are you picking, you know, what are you picking up on? Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe it's, per, I mean, maybe it's like, maybe a better stated, you can talk a lot and still have good, be perceptive. Yeah. You can still perceive what somebody needs. I like that. I like um, that perspective. But, but in, in general, I think it's good to 
you use your ears um, for, for sure. Um, yeah, well, super interesting. So I love what you guys are doing. That's cool. I like the idea of being able to, to browse, being able to raise your hand. Um, are you guys are just focused on sales now, sales and marketing? Sales or? and marketing right now. Eventually, we want to be all B two B content. You know, we had to like thin that universe down a little bit um, to start with, and sales and marketing is still a uh, pretty big universe. So there's some debate oh, yeah, over, over how small that slice is, but um, yeah. So we're starting sales and marketing, and then we'll start to expand from there. Like already, kind of on our radar is customer success. I think some people would even say that is sales and marketing and that's some of what we're learning. So um, we'll, we'll start to, as kind of demand drives it, we'll start to expand that outside of sales and marketing, but we still have a lot of work to do even just within sales and marketing. Just in terms of the, so how many guys do you have on your team? We're at eight people. We're hiring three others right now. Um, actually about to be, uh, have four others posted and then, um, you know, transparently, we're going to go out and do some fundraising here in the not too distant future and then continue to grow the team from there. Um, but we've got just an awesome team. It's been a it's been a case study in hiring smart people and getting out of the way for me personally. Awesome. Are you do you find yourself like wanting to do all the work? So I, I was worried that would be the case. I've always I don't know, like, unfortunately, or fortunately, like, one of my mantras, like I grew up with, like, beating my head for my parents was uh like they might outsmart you but don't let them outwork you and that's always i've kind of always like prided myself on my work ethic but that's gotten me in trouble as i've gotten gotten into people management you know jumping too often too far into the weeds or um, not being good at delegating so i've gotten better at that and now the team that we have just makes it so easy to do that it's i really have to and i need to stay focused on kind of the vision uh the customers uh, some sales motions and then ultimately fundraising, but uh, we've just got an awesome team that makes it really easy to delegate to right now. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you being on. This was great. Uh, like I said, look forward to following what you guys are doing and I uh, wish you the best of luck and I uh, hope we stay in touch. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time. <laughs>